Podcast. French. <laughs> Ocean. Filmmaker. Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. Man, are you, are you really not trying? Just, this is just a, a dead segment. I love the protest. Rather than getting beat, he just won't play. <laughs> kills me. I'm surprised. You know how many arguments I've lost to this fucking guy? And I come back and I come in the game. I, we found one thing I have mild... I have a mild advantage. Ben is like, I will not come to the table. So I am once again undefeated. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. so good. You need a new, you need a new system, Timmy. He's he's broken. He's I hate broken. this game so much. I'm so mad at this game. This game is unfair somehow. I have to figure out how it's unfair, but it's clearly unfair. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. I was taken aback. Uh, I, I thought there was going to be a longer thing before the uh, recording began. But hey, here we are. I am not uh, muted at all. I am hip. Unmuted. I'm Currently hip unmuted. Fly is what I am. Ben Barton, you're in Knoxville. Jeff Simons, you're in Berkeley. Gentlemen, how are you today? I have a medicinal announcement that may affect future recordings at least through a month from now. Uh-oh. What do you got? On dryuary. Oh, is that oh, right? Is it today is day one, no drinking. And I'm actually, I think, I mean, assuming I make it, I'm going to stretch it to the end of February. So. How about that? January yeah, 15th, for sure. January 15th, it begins. January 15th, it begins. February 15th, I'm allowed to stop. I'm aiming for March 1st. You got that okay. Simpsons episode? So basically, I'm going to be a lot sharper for a month and a half. And then whatever <laughs> the first podcast is in March, it's going to be like, oh, I'm getting I thought. <laughs> Do you remember that the Simpsons where he cuts out beer for a month? You got to cheat, get a cut shotgun up for yourself. Dude, we've actually <laughs> referred to this one before. It's the one where he's in the outfield watching baseball, is sober, and he's like, I yeah. hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good one. No deer for a month. Did you see beer or deer? Ah, <laughs> oh, good stuff. Well, congratulations, Ben. I hope it I hope it goes well. Indeed. Uh, 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys. Uh, a third of us are dry. This is exciting. There goes that sponsor I had lined up. <laughs> right, right. Right. You just uh, line them up March 1st and I'll just sample it and we'll go. Oh, by the way, we're, we're on a new country. Uh, as far as listens, we are on, we are now in the, I think it was, we got up to 27 music history podcasts in China. How about nice. that? Apparently they didn't hear what we had to say about them and their relationship with Tibet. That's okay. Pretty big market. That actually might have boosted us. Maybe we should That's add, right. a, add a Chinese portion to the entertainment. All right. <laughs> like so geopolitical much. talk along. <laughs> 50 years of China with 50-year-old white guys. All right. Well, my exciting well, news is that uh, immediately upon the conclusion of this recording, I go to get my biannual haircut. Woohoo! Oh, very nice. Every this six is- months, whether I need it or not. 
This is why people tune in. It does. Like it's it's the rhythms of our lives. I'm just sharing. Um, All right. Here we are on the drive in podcast network. And we've got the Grammy winner for 1997 coming up. And this Grammy winner has thrown everything off for me. The ripple effects of this have been devastating in the last 24 hours as I've tried to decide my top pick for 1997. It's the Grammy winner. Time Out of Mind by Bob Dylan. Shadows are falling And I've been here all day It's too hot to sleep And time is running away Feel like my soul has turned into steel I've still got the scars at the Sunday night There's not even room enough to be anywhere It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Woo! First of all, that's tough, Jeff, for the 50-year-old white guys. I don't appreciate <laughs> that you did. It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. It wasn't really called for. I think. Also, wasn't he roughly our age? He was like 57 when this came out, right? Yeah, that's the part that really kind of bums uh, me out. Yeah. Yeah. I remember yeah, he's still kicking, yeah. though, man. Dude, he, I came. I saw him here in Knoxville, Tennessee, and he wasn't bad. Like, he was, I mean, and by, for, uh, by Bob Dylan's standards of the last 20 years, he was great. Yeah. No, he's got it. He's got some fire again. But I remember hearing that in 1997 and being like, oh, jeez, it's going to so be rough old. to feel to be that old. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite song on that record. We have fights about this all the time, but I might be I would argue it might be one of like the last great like Dylan songs that belongs in there with like Visions of Johanna and like a Rolling Stone, like Mississippi from Love and Theft. And this okay. song from Time Out of Mind for me are like like the last two spectacular. It's gorgeous. So I love that song so much. And we previously discussed you're in my favorite, right, Timmy? Yeah. I, I picked that. Yeah. I picked that in uh, 97. And that's why I, I mean, I can't pick the album when I picked the song. Plus it's the Grammy winner. So I got to spread the love. Um, but I want to pivot. Oh, by the way, just to be clear, it was Highlands. That's that's yes. Tim and my favorite one. Like, I, right. and that song, love it. The, the one that Jeff chose is great, but I mean, Highlands is like <laughs> has a it's special great. place in my heart. It's also the only 16-minute song Ben will ever defend, which makes it no, no. There's successful. several different Dylan ones. I like. Well, first of all, the most recent one, the really the murder bad, most like, foul. The yeah. murder most foul is a hilarious listen. I, I've listened to it multiple times because it's so funny, um, <laughs> and I like the dumb like what's the the 1980s record. Record where he's like, I watch anything we get. Oh, God. Brownsville Girls, great. Yeah, Brownsville yeah. Girl. Yeah, totally. First Grammy nomination for Bob Dylan. When was it? Yeah. What, what, when and what? Oh, that's a good guy. I'm going to guess it's Oh Mercy. So, first of all, I'm on the website. Okay. Uh huh. 1962 Best Folk Recording. No Bob way. Dylan. Isn't okay. that amazing? Hey, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. I mean, it's nominated. He doesn't win. And Lord, Lord knows who the other category members are for best folk recording. Like those other people must be like the guy who won that year must be like, that's right, Dylan. 
That's right. It must be like the Clancy I'm still brothers, killing you. Or the Kingston Trio or something like that. Like yeah, seriously. Really this is the fifth Grammy Awards. He's, okay. uh, and then he's nominated, nominated, nominated. What's his first win? And it's a trick question. Oh, he wins the Lifetime Achievement Award in like 91 or two, I thought. No, uh, I'm wrong. He is an artist for an album of the year with a bunch of other artists. The Last Waltz? Concert for Bangladesh. Oh, boy. Uh, yes. Wow. Oh, we already talked about what a bad record that is. Yeah. Then best rock vocal performance male. And I've already given you a hint. It's after 1972 and it's before uh, it's before the 80s. So Hurricane. Uh, and he won this. He won this. He won? This is, he won I, best rock vocal performance male. Hurricane. I, Gotta be. I don't know. 1979, Jeff. Is that helping? Oh, my God. For something off of Slow Train Coming. Gotta that serve somebody. somebody. Unbelievable. Gotta, isn't that amazing? Especially Grammy because it's such a bad best. vocal. It's such a bad, a bad oh, vocal. I know. And it's a bad song. It's not even like a, 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 the, the Grain of Sand song is great. Like It's not even the best song on that stupid record. It's amazing nope. and awful. Then um, <laughs> he's uh, not. he wins Best Rock Performance by a Duo or a Group with Vocal, 1989. Yeah. Oh, mercy. Right. Traveling Wilburys. Oh, traveling hey Wilburys. <laughs> I gave you the group or vocal. That's um, Lifetime Achievement Award, 1991. Do you remember that speech? It's no. one of the all-time great mumble, like, like. <laughs> he comes out. And he's like, you know, my uh, my daddy used to say. Well, <laughs> well he said so many things. You know, <laughs> that's how it starts. So great. Awesome. <laughs> so here we are talking about a songwriter in his 50s. Um, Jeff Simons, let's let's get personal. This is uh this is Uh-oh. this is real talk with Tim Plain. Um last year you produced and recorded uh, an album, first time in your life, solo album. These songs have been kicking around for a number of years and, and you brought them all together and, and released river run, which is super exciting. Ben and I were so excited to celebrate that with you and, 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 um, and listen to it on our Spotify, uh, making, making playlists. So, so, so you get more cash and all of a sudden I see not from a text from you or a, a letter or a phone call on the Twitter that you have a new song coming out. Jeff Simons, you have more to say. I'm, uh, I mean, who knows if I have anything to say, but um, uh, yeah, it turns out that putting out a record makes you want to make more music. So um, I have a couple more singles in the hopper and uh, I am in very, 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 very preliminary talks with a label who potentially might want to put out an EP this hey summer. Yeah. Um, so, but that's contingent on having a second record to give them. So I am trying to finish writing the second record. So I'm about, I've side one, I think completely in the can, but uh-huh. um, I got to write at least another 20 to get two more good ones for side two. Okay. So. Well, Ben Barton, let's start limbering up. Indeed. You get that guitar Indeed. out 
Oh, no, the... I thought so we can go see him play. That's what we're, oh, not, we're yeah, not but he needs, any of our instruments out. He needs musicians on his album. Here's what I was thinking, if, guys. If is, he needs musicians, he does not need you and me, Tim. I was thinking I could I would cover Huey Lewis in the news a couple days off, and you guys could be the background vocals like the 49ers were on the original. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> couple days off. If you could do that, we're all, we're all I set. I could do that. Do you have a sample of Caroline we can hear? Uh, yeah, uh, come yeah. on, just give us like uh, 10, 10 notes, 10 seconds. Is that is that the worldwide debut of Caroline? No, definitely. Oh, not. come I've on! Been, I've been sharing it around a lot. Oh, but, that um, Italian reporter. Yeah, it's not like those Italian reporters were like, "Jeff, you got to send me your new stuff." That's the result of some <laughs> serious pandering on my part. So good job, good job. Way to pander. All right, that's a good one. Good. Though. That's got a, a bunch of friends on it. Like Depredo plays guitar all over it, and both Rich Price and Megan sing. Yeah, you can hear. Oh, fun! Yeah. Awesome! Oh, really cool. Well, we cannot wait. Um, we also have to clean some stuff up in this podcast. Last week, we celebrated Celine Dion's winning of the Grammy. Uh, but when I asked you, Jeff Simons, I said, "What is the song off this album?" You you had nothing. Um, you had no idea which songs came off this album and what was a hit. So I, with the boys in research, went back and realized that her biggest hit outside of Titanic comes off of this album. And it's the song, It's All Coming Back to Me Now. I would like you to start it at 2.22. Stay with we me, We haven't ben. had enough? Stay like, with seriously? me, Ben. Jesus Go. God. All right, hold on. <laughs> I had the other song queued up, so just give me, give me a. Uh, no worries. Give me a. Here we go. Ready? Da 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 da. There were things I'd never do again, but then they'd always seem to write. There were nights of endless pleasure. It was more than any lost in love. Baby, baby, if I kiss you like this, and if you whisper like I desperately wanted to play that for you because when I went back and heard that song, I made a brilliant prediction because I predicted who wrote that song. Jeff, say it again. No way. You were, you did. I did. Who predict? Who is it? Brian Adams. No. Jim Steinman. Oh, Meatloaf Sky. It's Meatloaf. That's, that's a Meatloaf song. That's I, like this, like that. I get yeah. it. That is fantastic. That yeah, is a okay. gold star for Timbo for the oh, podcast yeah. for sure. Nicely And done. then just real and quick. another Lamborghini for that Jim Steinman guy. For <laughs> sure. I mean... I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. Total Eclipse of the Heart. Um, it's all coming back to me now. 
I need a hero or holding out for a hero. Paradise by the dashboard lights and two at two out of three ain't bad, which is my favorite meatloaf song. And then finally, air supplies making love out of, out of nothing, nothing at, all. at all. You know what? You just described like if if I had to spend an entire day uh -huh. in like a in like a salon barber shop uh -huh. in like ninety eight, I think that's what's playing on a loop. Just those songs. <laughs> that's that's it. That's the in-house playlist. Ah, oh, good stuff. Uh, Jim Stein, did he? I think he died. Did he just die? We can hope. We can hope, Timmy. Oh, God. Wow. Ouch. Apologies to the Steinman family. <laughs> Listen, you can't play that song and get any love from me at all. Someone is having a little bit of trouble with uh, sobriety. Uh, yes, he just died April 19th, 2021. All right. It's 1997. Here are the things happening in your world. Uh, Bill Clinton inaugurated for a second term. I hope that goes well for him. Uh, Princess Diana dies. Yes, Mother on Teresa my birthday, dies. by the way. Um, Dolly the Sheep is produced in Scotland at this time. Uh, Jeff, did you have any ethical concerns with the cloning of Dolly? Not even in the slightest. I was really, really excited about it, I think. Uh, and I really wanted uh, them to start immediately cloning any and all things. Jim Steinman. <laughs> like, for example, can you imagine two of those guys working together on, on like pianos facing each other? I mean, they would have Beethoven's well, symphony. So in 2003, uh, they found a growth on Dolly's liver. And she was euthanized. Ben Barton, do you have any moral qualms with with euthanasia? Not for Dolly at all. And actually, I'm like a nice rack of lamb. Like I must have been delicious. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And my final ethical question, Jeff Simons, Dolly now stands in the National Museum of Scotland, where she has been. Uh, preserved and, and stuffed. Wait, she's stuffed in the National Museum? So do you, have, do you have any ethical problems. concerns with that? Yes! They taxidermied her and people <laughs> can walk by it? That is ridiculous! Well, she's not real. She was a clone, so... What is, is the National Museum of Scotland the one where they got the jewels? Because I've been to that museum and I don't remember seeing a dead sheep. <laughs> I would definitely remember that. No, I believe I believe that the jewels are in the Edinburgh Castle. That's uh, not the national like that seemed uh, like the A plus museum. Yeah, there's another one I guess where they have animals stuffed all over the place. Like, wait, they got multiple animals because Dolly better be the first one. Like, you know, 11th century muskox better be like way down at the <laughs> end of the aisle from Dolly. I don't uh, think I Braveheart's horse. That's what I think about. it should just be a Dolly museum and it should be called Hello Dolly. And no. then Dolly's in the middle oh. and you can buy t-shirts. Right. Talking about number one, let's go to the number one selling album of 1997. Uh, Jeff, are you confused? Because this is this album actually came out in 96, but they have a similarly named album that comes out in 97. It's the number one album. Spice by the Spice Girls. Yo, I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I'll tell you what I want, what I really, really want. So tell me what you want, what you really, really want. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I 
I mean, I don't get oh, the blood pumping. Virgin whatsoever. I've got one note for them, which is more rapping. Like, yeah. every time they sing, I'm sad. I need more of the rapping. I mean, they were good at it, right? It, although oh, it was just, sure. just Scary Spice, the black woman who did most of the rapping. Or did, uh, did Jerry, what was her name? The redhead? Was that her name is Jerry Hollowell. Let's not pretend that we don't know her name. Come on. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> okay. Did I'm apparently Jeff, you had a favorite spice girl. Apparently. I did not have a favorite spice girl. It Actually, sounds like they, you. I never they never bothered me at all. I also paid absolutely no attention to them whatsoever. But like yeah, I, was, yeah. I, I lived on planet Earth. I knew that song like the back of my hand, but uh <laughs> but I got them. I had I have zero issues. I thought that song was really fun. And yeah, I, I had put no, them in and I had no idea Celine that level at all. They're mid-level. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, I like I I don't like it didn't rise to the level. There are acts in this genre where it rises to the level. Where I'm like, wow, I actually like that. And that's not this. That did not um, happen. But it's not horrible. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I mean, we uh, had we had we had waterfalls just the other day. That's a yeah. perfect example of something in this genre that has risen to like rose up to the level where I was like, wow, I love that. It made yeah. it made the uh the children's playlist. The Indeed. Girls, right? Um, so yeah, apparently they have another album that comes out in 97 called Spice World. And I just yes. want to make sure you didn't confuse them. Life is hard, but finding a really great podcast makes the days go by so much easier. Hi, my name is Blue Toulousma. I'm a writer and emotional intelligence coach and the host of Humanize with Blue Toulousma, a podcast where we believe that when you humanize everyone in the room, a great conversation is almost guaranteed. Join us every week here on Electricast as me and my guest co-hosts unpack big topics and interview even bigger personalities with a sense of humor and a dash of mischief. If you're looking for a new best friend in your head, we've got you covered. Electric Yeah, definitely a, a a second album not worth making. They definitely were. That, I mean, anybody who was like, I wonder what the next album will sound like. This really wasn't paying attention. <laughs> um, 1997, you know, the one story I want to talk about was the North Hollywood shootout. Did you guys hear about that shootout? Two bank robbers dressed in Kevlar with AK-47s, rob a Bank of America in North Hollywood. And it was a scene right out of the movie Heat. I think Heat comes out in 95, and this shootout happens in 97. Do you remember this? No, nah, help us, Timmy. No, I don't really either. Uh, I, remember th I remember that there was a Heat copycat event, but I don't know anything about it. So they went into this bank with their Kevlar and their AK-47s, and they had armor piercing bullets oh. and it became readily apparent to the police officers that they were just absolutely outgunned um in the course of this shootout which which lasts under 30 minutes over 2000 rounds of ammunition are fired 2000 rounds of ammunition two guys up against all these cops police 
um, did not have the firepower to match with them. So officers went into a local gun store during the firefight and started grabbing AR-15s to fight back against these two bank robbers. Finally, uh, a SWAT team was called in and both of the bank robbers were shot and ultimately died. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that, Timmy. I oh, you know what I should have done? That's actually my fault. We should have played over under on the um, rounds. Oh, the number of bullets rounds. fired? Yeah, I would have been totally off. That would have been way under. I can't even, I can't, that's, that's really heavy. Like, I don't even know how they even carried all those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, well, once they made it to the car, that's when they kind of were reloading and, and shooting. I think also the cops fired a lot. Too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, once they go in and borrow a bunch of AR-15s, <laughs> I would imagine that the firepower increased significantly. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's get to deaths of 1997. <laughs> Can I just, I mean... I guess we're just leaving it. That's just one of those ones where you tell a vignette and people take from it what they will. Well, what would you take from it, Jeff? Um, Something I'm about- glad I wasn't in North Hollywood that afternoon. There really were uh, several bystanders who were injured in the shooting, yes. You can imagine it, 2,000 rounds. Well, what's yeah. fascinating, right, is that the uh, legislation that came from this was that our police officers need more firepower. And, and so- Ever since then, LAPD has been beefed up. Which is hard to imagine that they needed beefing up in 2007. Right. After, or, after or dare, nice. crash, smash, you know, like all of those uh, community cleanup programs from the 80s and 90s. That they're like, well, if we could just have a few more weapons. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, this is a lovely segue. I am going to um, say clues and you name the person who died in 1997. America. Poet. Howell. Oh, Allen Ginsberg. Allen Ginsberg is correct. French. <laughs> Ocean. Filmmaker. Jacques Cousteau. Jacques Cousteau. And are you are you really not trying? Just, this is just a, a dead segment. I love the protest. Rather than getting beat, he just won't play. <laughs> kills me. I'm surprised. You know how many arguments I've lost to this fucking guy, and I come back and I come in the game. I we found one thing. I have mild. I have a mild advantage. Ben is like, I will not come to the table. So I am once again undefeated. <laughs> oh man, that's so good. so good. You need a new, you need a new system, Timmy. He's he's broken. He's I hate broken. this game so much. I'm so mad at this game. This game is unfair somehow. I have to figure out how it's unfair, but it's clearly unfair. This is a Joe Manchin event by Ben. He's just like, I, if I don't vote, it doesn't happen. Oh, I love it. Oh, so good. Jimmy, you got a third dead guy or what? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, man. I was just, that made me laugh so hard that I accidentally hit my microphone and turned it off. But now I'm fine. I was just picturing, like, as soon as I go to this every week, Ben's screen just goes black. 
Right, exactly. Picture of him with his arm crossed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and just like the girl from Ipanema playing. Those of you listening at home, Ben Barton's screen oh, has God. just gone to Benjamin Barton. All right, Ben, last one. You can do this. I believe in you. Singer-songwriter. Oh God, Country Roads. Come on, you got it. You got it. That was not okay. I saw Jeff give that to me, and I won't have it. I won't have it. I'm going to boycott again next week. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't have to listen to John Denver growing up, did you? Did either of you get subjected to John Denver in your childhood houses? Yeah, my big sister. Oh, you did? My dad only owned three records, and one of them was John Denver's Greatest Hits, and the other one was John Denver's Back Home Again. And he played those things, and you could see through the vinyl. I know all those songs and they're most of them are deeply objectionable. And here's the thing like- that's funny is that the, the summer camp that I went to would have these sing-alongs where it's just the kids singing. And we yeah. did country roads. That was like a mainstay. And so I actually don't like, I love that song. Yeah. It's burned on my brain. I can sing everything. The bridge of that song, I consider it to be a masterwork. His recording of it is so goddamn awful. Like it's just unlistenable. <laughs> how yeah. bad the actual song is in comparison to the beautiful lyrics and the content. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't disagree with country roads is a great song, but um, have you ever listened to grandma's feather bed all the way through? Uh, no. Dude, yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, do yourself a favor and <laughs> bring up grandma's feather bed. And the next time somebody tries to tell you about the genius of John Denver, you can just start playing grandma's feather bed for them. Oh, and it will be, that will be the end of the discussion. So. I love it. That made the greatest hits too. That's good. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, um, Bonnaroo, the lineup came out this week. Uh, I also saw, I think I saw Coachella's lineup. Um, either, either of you have thoughts? It's, uh, first, it's, I'm definitely going as long as they have that stupid thing and I'm alive, I'm going. Okay. Um, I liked the lineup for last year. The canceled one really a lot better than the okay. lineup for this one. Well, who are, who are you um, excited about for this year? I uh, J. Cole. I've, never, I've seen J. Cole once before. He's fantastic. I really like the record that he put out last year, so I'm psyched about him. Okay. War on Drugs, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. You're going to hate Super them Super so open-minded much. to them. You're going to hate them. Is that true? Because they've got like – I like some of their records. Okay. Maybe you won't. Maybe you won't then. I, um, I can't and wait then to see what you think about Deep Cut Country Act. Zach Bryan is fantastic. One of Dahlia's favorites. So okay. those are the ones that I'm like, actually, I would pay money to go see. Um, then there's like, you know, like Herbie Hancock's playing. That'd be great. Um, right. Jeff, what about you? What's Did you notice the lineup? Any, anyone jump out of you? It was the first time I ever looked <laughs> at, a, um, at a lineup for a major music festival and thought, oh, my God, I'm old. It really was the like, oh, this is the Rubicon. This is the Rubicon. I looked at that lineup and I was like, Say what? <laughs> like oh, a lot dear. of acts, a lot of acts I hadn't heard of. That guy Briston Maroney, I would go see. He's got he's a singer-songwriter sure. and he's still learning how to write songs, but apparently the live act is just amazing. So okay. I'm psyched, I'd be psyched to see that. I agree with Ben, like I haven't seen the war on drugs yet, and I it's my kind of like floaty live things are just going and going. So I would dig that, I think. And then um it would definitely be a what's this all about weekend for me. 
There's I also forgot in- Ludacris is coming, and I, I okay. just I, Ludacris is fantastic. I've got hose in different area codes, you know, like he's great. <laughs> um, Claude is no, someone not to sleep on either. She's a singer songwriter who's made a bunch of little independent one, one and done singles. And uh, I don't know how I, I think Bandcamp off recommended her to me. And um, she's playing like, she'll probably play at one in the afternoon on the smallest stage, but she's good. I'd, okay. I would go check her out too. Very nice. Well, cool. Uh, sorry, I, uh, I won't be able to go with you, Ben. I am going to Utah at that time. Very nice. I know. I'm very excited. Uh, but I'm uh, bummed that I'll miss Bonnaroo yet again. Where are you going? Uh, Why are you going to Utah? Well, there are some national parks there, Jeff. Okay. And the Plane family is going on a national park adventure. Uh, we've rented some sort of truck with tents, and we're just going to live off the fat of the land. That is amazing. And I'll raise, are you going to make it, it's gonna make it out fun. here? Or is Utah I'll, your I'll, furthest west? We're just, uh, we're going to do um, Utah, Grand Canyon, that kind of thing. I did that with the girls and it was fantastic. I can't yeah. recommend the highway enough. Yeah, you're right. Yosemite is not a big draw at all. You shouldn't, you shouldn't come I, out. That, remember, I just visited you. That was great. I know, I know. I want to um, see the family. Yeah. Where are you I, Martha still talks about that visit and being on the subway with you and coming up into the pride parade and just marveling at all the people there in San Francisco and the celebration, really a big, big moment uh, in my child's life. Well, let's go to our three albums. Our three albums. So, you know, sometimes you fall for a band, you're like, okay, I want to learn about these guys. And you do a little bit of research, you read some interviews, you find some things out. Um, this is this this band is the reason I miss record stores so much. So Amoeba Music in the Bay Area is uh, the one in San Francisco is really a mecca. Um, it used to be a bowling alley and then it became the biggest record store in it the Bay Area. Great. I love that. And so a lot of the stuff that I heard for the first time, I heard because it had been curated in the listening stations, was playing over the mic at Amoeba. And so I was, you know, flipping through racks and and, uh, a song came on and I was like, what in the hell is this? It's like just the perfect ungodly intersection of like late 60s kinks and early 70s stones with a little who thrown in. It's right up my alley. And so I, you know, I ran up to the counter guy told me who they were. I went over and uh, there were only two records in the section. They were both Australian imports um, because it was the nineties. I bought them both because I didn't know if I could ever find it again. Uh, And such began a long love affair with an Australian band called UMI. UMI is a trio. It's led by Tim Rogers. It started in 1989 with him and his brother and their best friend in high school um, in 1992, it became clear that the, the main guy had professional aspirations and the brother and the friend didn't. So uh, he got their sound engineer and lighting guy to start to learn to play bass. They found a professional drummer and that trio has endured intact from 1992 to today. They are still together. They're still making music um, in Australia. They were a really big deal. The, the, the record of the, this record, which is called Hourly Daily, 
frequently comes in in the top 10 greatest Australian records ever made. Um, they're spoken of in the same breath as ACDC and Midnight Oil, uh, in excess, like UMI, local, in, in terms of uh, Australia, is on that level of fame and reverence. Courtney Barnett, who I love, this is her all-time favorite band. She frequently encores with a UMI song called Heavy Heart. Um, and they just never, ever, ever, ever got any traction in the United States. Like they just never got over there. The tours of the U.S. were always tiny places. I caught them once in San Francisco. I can't remember if it was the Fillmore or the Great American. It's a great show. It's just like, you know, just like, you know, 400 miles in a cloud of dust, rock and roll. Um, and uh, they're just not, you know, they're just not slick enough or in their moment enough to blow up. Like in a world where semi-charmed life is the record on the, is the rock music on the radio. This is a little too raw. It's a little too throwback. Um, and I also think lyrically, this is a record about Australia, right? Just as the kinks never really blew up in America because the records are so English. They're about village greens and going to the market. This is a record about growing up in Australia. And if you're not curious, there's, you know, there are songs here that, you know, like uses Australian slang and they're just not, they're not the kind of like crossover international sing-alongs that they would need to be to break uh, in America. So UMI has been one of those bands that uh, is a little secret for me. I, anybody who asks, I turn them on. And of course, now on Spotify, all these records that were hard to find and only in the Amoeba import section are just all lined up in chronological order. And because they've been making records since 93, now there's like 12 of them. So you don't know where to start. There is a great best of. Uh, there's a record called The Cream and the Croc, which is a pretty funny name for our greatest hits. Um, which is a great place to start. But I would start with this record. It's called Hourly Daily. Um, I'm going to play, I'll just play my favorite song, which is called Trike. Um, this is just, um, this really does have like the songwriting craft of like the kinks and the, the kind of swampy, like R&B rhythm section of the Stones with enough like silly trio uh, unnecessary drum fill mayhem of the who to be at their best, like a wonderful smashing together of all those bands. Um, and, you know, it also has a very Paul Westerberg replacements, singer, songwriter, plaintive lead vocal thing. So this is a great lost band. If I've mentioned a band that you like, you owe it to yourself to give UMI a little bit of your attention. And here is Trike. Hourly Daily by UMI. Yeah, 
That's just three people. That's a trio. There's a little bit of overdubbing going on. Those hand oh, flaps aren't in real time. Good. But yeah, they're, they're, they added a guitar player in 99 for touring purposes. And then he eventually just became a part of the band. But the, the essential trio that made the first EP in 92 are all still in the band and, and all still a part of the touring act. So Amazing. Good stuff. Well, ben, what do you know about him? Nothing. Nothing either. <laughs> you and me both. I've never heard that band. I looked it up. It's it's the name. It's like you, the pronoun. Yeah. M-A-M-I. Not yes. you. Like, not letter U-M-I if you're looking for them. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll instead go of, check it out for sure. This, instead I guess, of you and I, it's U-M-I. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the, this record, deep. Hourly Daily, and the next one, which is called Number Four Record, because it's their fourth record. Oh, those okay. are... Those are great all the way through. Um, and then there's, you know, you cherry pick on. Then I would just, uh, if you love both of those, you can go to the greatest hits and decide if it's worth cherry picking beyond. But like two fantastic rock records that you've never heard of is a pretty good. That's find. pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. So I love these guys. This is, um, it's not just me desperately trying to find bands we haven't talked about yet. Like this is, in, this was in my top three or four from the year anyway. So all right. Love these guys. Love them. Okay. We will check it out. Ben, what do you got? India Can Cannons Spotify wrapped list oh. for 2021. Oh my God, I love it already. Name her most played artist. Olivia Rodrigo. Duh. Not a bad guess, Jeff. I got no idea, man. <laughs> the Notorious B.I.G., Really? It turns out to have been India's, and she listens to Spotify. That is her actual platform. That's her <laughs> current favorite artist. She listens to him on loop. She'll just put in B.I.G. into Spotify, and then they play some Biggie songs along with other songs that sound like Biggie, and she's just absolutely happy, thrilled with it. Okay, okay. yeah, that was, I'm glad I didn't guess. because she It would have taken a long time for <laughs> you to get there, for sure. So Chris Wallace is born 1992 in Brooklyn. He grows up in Clinton Hill, really close to Bed-Stuy. He lives a mile, 1.2 miles from where I grew up in Brooklyn. A short, brisk walk. Uh, Clinton Hill is now a really pretty nice neighborhood, but it was a super rough neighborhood. I was going to say, especially for you, a nice brisk walk while you're oh, walking yeah. real, real, real fast to get back to yeah, your Yeah, no. There's, yeah. I think, like, basically, uh, like, you know, four blocks from where I grew up, where my house was, was Grand Army Plaza. And that had the library on it, the public library on it. And that also had the, like, further next to it is the Brooklyn Botanical Garden and also the Brooklyn Museum. I, I mean, I wore that library out. Like, from the time I was in middle school, I was a regular at that library. But from the library, you could look across Flatbush into the neighborhood and be like, well, I'm not headed there. <laughs> I'm going to turn around for the library and head home as quickly as possible. So he, he goes to uh, Westinghouse High School in Brooklyn with two other rappers. Jay-Z and Buster Rhymes are at the high school at the same time that Biggie Smalls there. Isn't that insane? Wow. That's, yeah, that's insane. incredible. And you go to the Westinghouse uh, Wikipedia link and they've got the list of the famous alums. And it's like those three guys and like a couple of baseball catchers. Like that's it. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> All three of them there at the same time. Uh, needless to say, he doesn't graduate. His mom, he's a son of Jamaican immigrants. His dad leaves when he's, he's two. His mom's working two jobs, three jobs. She's working all night. 
Um, he claims to have started drug dealing at 12. And actually, when you when you reread the stuff about him, it's what, like there's a lot of these guys who claim to have done things. I'm like, that seems kind of likely. Like there's the guys who talk about the life and then there's the guys who unfortunately really live the life. And this is, you know, guy. I will, I will back you up in that. Like I've been, I've been uh, visiting San Quentin quite a bit, or at least pre pandemic. I went nine or 10 times with the Marin Shakespeare project and did some, some work with some of the, some of the guys in there. And uh, once they started telling us their stories, like almost every one of them who was in there for drugs, like they were in it and single digits. Like this guy was telling me like he'd been in it for three or four years and then he bought a car and then he got somebody knocked somebody up and that was complicated. And then he turned 13. Like it really is like yeah. they get going at an at a, at a shockingly early age. So I, I don't no, like, I don't doubt that that's true. He's like self-recording himself and trying to make it as a rapper. At the same time, he's working as a drug dealer and a runner and a mule. And he's like basically gets on probation, gets arrested. Another guy another time, spends some time in jail. By the time he gets out of jail he's like now it's starting to break like he's got an actual good sounding um recording and uptown records as an a and r guy sean puffy combs and uh he's like signed him so he immediately gets all these guest things on the uptown records people he's got a guest verse on a mary j blige song he's got a guest verse on heavy d and the boys and he's got a guest verse on a remix of buddy x by nina cherry so we get another nina cherry drop right in here we got to actually play one of our songs at one point. 1994 Flavin year comes out. And that first verse is actually my favorite Biggie verse. Like, I just can't recommend it highly enough. And I remember when that song came out, I was like, whoa, what is going on with this guy? Um, uh, Puffy Combs basically is like, like, who knows what shenanigans are going on in Uptown Records. But he gets fired slash leaves slash takes all other good acts, including Biggie and starts Bad Boy Records, and he's the producer and the songwriter. Um, Ready to Die is the first record, and you'll note a theme with this guy. So it's uh, there's basically three different categories of Biggie Small songs. There's the category that India really likes, and he's got a bunch, not a few. He's got, I don't know, eight up-tempo bangers that are just like, play him at grandma's, play him at the, at the barbecue, play him at a wedding, play him anywhere. People are out on the floor and losing their minds. Then he's got another category of much angrier gangster rap songs that are like really, really raw and brutal. And they, though that includes like the really the worst kind of misogyny type stuff. I put that in the same category. Then he's got a bunch of songs about how he can't wait to die. And he hates himself with such passion that he's like suicidal every day. It's a really weird mix of things. It's a like uh, he's just a super interesting guy. This version of gangster rap, and there's a bunch of Tupac songs that are about this too. Where like these two guys are like on the one hand like totally celebrating it, but it's not like DMX. Like DMX is just like the and 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 the and the first version of um, NWA is just like you know it would be the greatest thing in the world is to go to the club and shoot another black person like that would be amazing for me and then I would just do that again and again and again that's a daily activity for me Tupac and Biggie are just like oh I just I can't stand myself my mother hates me my mother wish she had had an abortion my my mother can't stand me like I stole from my mother I'm an embarrassment to my mother like it's fucking brutal to listen to this guy describe his own mental state um, and just obsessed with death here are the uh, the biggie small so just a short list there's more but here's ready to die 
suicidal thoughts, somebody's got to die, last day, my downfall, long kiss goodnight, and then the last song on this record, you're nobody till somebody kills you. <laughs> this guy was just completely and utterly obsessed with death. And dude, the song Suicidal Thoughts ends ready to die and begins life after death. Like he just loops the two albums together um, as a continuous thing. And the suicidal thoughts thing, it's just, it's like, actually the, the girls love Biggie too. And it's one of their favorite songs. It's so grim. Like it's really, really, really hard to listen to. Um, but it's like, he's not bragging. You know what I mean? Like it's a really raw artistic statement where he's like, no, no, no. Like on a record filled with super fun songs, like Juicy and Big Papa, I'm going to end it with a song called Suicidal Thoughts that ends with a gunshot where he theoretically killed himself. Like, it's just uh, like you have to take that, in my opinion, along with the other part of it for the whole artistic statement. And uh, there's a great book that India read and would recommend by Patrick Sharkey called Uneasy Peace. And it's about policing in America. And there's a whole section of it about, about the bad news about policing. But the, the if you wanted to say good news, there's another whole section about how traumatic it is to grow up around violence and how like just crippling it is. Like it just ruins you. And just, like every measurable is worse for you if you grow up in a violent neighborhood. Like you just do worse in school. You're more likely to get arrested. You die earlier. Like your, your, your mental health is terrible. Your physical health is terrible. It's amazing. Like living in a violent neighborhood is like the, like the most carcinogenic, worst possible thing you can do to anybody. And there's these generations, of, and it's still happening, obviously, but like, like Biggie's just like a kid who grew up in that and was not able to get out of it, no matter what. Like, it's just so much trauma. He lived through so much trauma and it's like so expressed in his art. Um, and this is part, Nina had asked us in an email to do some defense of the, you know, it's misogynistic, but, or it's super violent, but. And I would just say like, it's really hard to judge these guys and this guy in particular who's such a tortured artist you know what i mean like the things that he lived through he's expressing that in his art and you kind of have to take it as a whole package in my opinion most famous probably even beyond the music for the tupac biggie battle and it's a really sad story like they were legit friends like in 1994 and 1995 every time biggie went out to la he stayed with tupac tupac stayed with him in new york they recorded a couple of songs together like they're legit friends. Tupac's is basically a year ahead of Biggie on everything. Like his, his first album comes out before Biggie's. He's a bigger hit. He's already established. His double album comes out in 1996, right before he dies. This double album, Life After Death, comes out in 1997, right after um, Biggie dies. Like they're just on this these parallel tracks. In 94... Tupac is, is recording in, just to give you the short version of it. He's recording in New York at Quad Studios and he gets robbed and shot and pistol whipped and all his jewelry gets stolen. He has to spend a bunch of time in the hospital. He's convinced that it was set up by the Uptown Records guy and by Biggie. And that's the, the beginning of the beef. And by convinced, I mean, it's not unimaginable. Like these guys were like both Tupac and Biggie, like actually hung out with really, really, really scary gang members and hardcore criminals. And it's not beyond imagination that Biggie was like, you know, he's got a lot of jewelry and he's going to be in the studio as Tupac and that they came and robbed him. Um, 
anyhow, that's the beginning of the beef. And it gets really out of hand, super out of hand. Jeff, I'm going to ask you to play just the first, stop at like 27 or 28 seconds of Hit Him Up so you can hear what Tupac was saying about Biggie. And, and by the way, Hit Him Up comes out June 1996 and Biggie, Biggie's shot and murdered September 96. So I fucked your bitch, you fat motherfucker. Westside, bad boy killers. You know who the realest is, niggas. We bring it to First off, fuck your bitch in the click you claim Westside, when we ride, come equipped with game You claim to be a player, but I fucked your wife We bust on bad boys, niggas fuck for life Plus, Puffy tryna see me weak, hearts I rip Vicky Smalls and Junior Mafia, some mark-ass bitches we keep Yeah, so he actually did sleep with Faith Evans, Vicky's uh, wife That's an actual thing that happened And the first thing he says is, I fucked your wife, you fat fuck that's the beginning of the song. Like, that's what I mean by got out of hand. Like, and then it goes on. Oh, and so first of all, I'll just say, like, I love rap. And I also, I even like these gangsta, these beef rap songs. That's the best. It's the greatest. If you're into that genre at all, that one's the best. And yeah, it goes on like that. And it's just like, I'm going to murder you. I'm going to kill you. Like, they're not kidding around at all. And then, of course, you know, they're not killing around because it's three months later and Tupac gets shot in fucking Vegas, theoretically with a gun that Biggie bought. Like that's the allegation is that Biggie was involved enough for the gun that shot Tupac is his. It's turned it around into 97. This album, Life After Death, he's recording it for two, three years. He gets in a car accident. He gets shot. He's like, he's been arrested multiple times. It's he's really, really, really struggling to get this album out. The album is named Life After Death and features a picture of him next to a hearse all of it planned before he dies. Wow. Isn't that just like wow. so demented and weird yeah, and right. how like obsessed this guy was with death? Like the picture of him on the cover next to the hearse, that's taken two months before he dies and the record's named Life After Death, which is just like, I assumed that they renamed it after he died, but nope, that was the name in the can. That was the name of the project. It was like he was planning for it. He goes out to LA and he gets shot on the streets of LA. And again, the, the, the people who shot, it's a blood script situation. And the, the gang, the, allegedly the gang member who shot him was highly tied into both Suge Knight and, uh, and, and people who were around Tupac. So it's a horrible, awful story in my mind. Like, it's just so sad that these two guys um, got so deep into it. And it's also just insane. Like th that um, millionaires, millionaires and brilliant artists who had a lot more money to be made like hung out with these hardcore criminals who were freaking killing each other and it was just like an acceptable thing that happened um this record is a mixed bag it's a double album they released basically most of all the good stuff they had in the can including some mumbling and everything else that being said it has some high points like high 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 points jeff hypnotize Life After Death by the Notorious B.I.G. Don't think shit, stink pink gators by Detroit players. Tim's for my hooligans in Brooklyn. That's Dead it. right, if they head right, Biggie there, air night. Papa been smooth since days of under rules. Never lose, never choose to. Bruce Cruz, who do something to us? Talk, go through us. Girls walk to us, wanna do us, screw us, who us? 
Yeah, Papa and Pop. Close like Starsky and Hutch. Stick to clutch. Yeah, I squeeze three at your cherry M3. Bang every MC easily. Take that. Recently, niggas frontin' ain't sayin' nothin'. So I just speak my peace, keep on, my peace. Cubans with the Jesus peace, with you. my peace. Packing, asking who want it. You got it, nigga, flaunt it. That Brooklyn bullshit, we on it. Biggie, 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 can't you see? Sometimes your words just hypnotize me. And I just love your flashy ways. I guess that's why they're broken, you're so fake. Biggie, 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 uh-huh. can't you see? Sometimes. Ugh, I mean. It's a bizarre setup for that song because I love that song and I want to dance to that song, but you just depressed the crap out of me for 10 minutes. Right. But that's, that I mean, song. that's the crazy thing about this guy's, his guy's, this guy's catalog. Like, you I, take like it uh, yeah, I would definitely like this record and the first record and listen to them together. You get a really good idea for the full breadth of, of like, and it's weird to say his artistry, right. um, but you can't separate out this from that. You know what I mean? Like this song, good Lord, this song. And I mean, Mo Money, Mo Problems, Juicy and Big Papa are all equally awesome. Like I could choose any one of those four songs. It's my favorite Biggie song. And people would be like, hell yeah, that song's yeah. awesome. Uh, Jeff Simons, are you as sad as I am? So I got, I have, I have a bunch to say. First thing, the first thing is um, one of my favorite things to imagine is uh, a family that really likes Hamilton trying to find the 10 dual commandments. Oh, yeah. No, on 10 sure. crack commandments instead. And then going, <laughs> trying to fix the Spotify. <laughs> I gave every time oh, I. And, and if you don't know, now you know. Now you know, right? It's I mean, in I Hamilton, that... and that's a, that's puff. Yeah. 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 I mean, I really wish. Uh, <laughs> I wish there were TikTok videos of that accident happening in America's living rooms. But so the study of how violence acts itself upon people and violence is in and of itself a carcinogen is a is a brilliant thing that Ben has noticed. I teaching right now a course on on um, Los Angeles in the 20th century, basically post-World War II through the L.A. riots. And you can see in the literature of that course and in the course of, of the history of Los Angeles exactly what Ben is talking about. Just and and one of the things you said that really struck with me is the insanity of being surrounded by criminality, knowing it's criminal, knowing it's bad for you, and leaning into it anyway. But that kind of self-loathing, black, super masculine anti-hero is not invented by these guys. Uh, it's it's a very old fair, yeah. American trope. It's it's as old as as enslavement itself. It probably first starts to gain traction and black art with the blues guys of the late 20s right robert johnson and biggie smalls have a lot in common i'm a mm. bad man i'm gonna right. sleep with my wife i'm transient i'm town to town i'm brilliant and tortured i've only got a few years before they're gonna come and kill me like all of johnson's songs are obsessed with death and he dies also uh, very early right at the cusp of stardom under very shady circumstances. The literature of Los Angeles in the 20th century, particularly by black writers, has the same thing. Bob Jones, who's the protagonist of Chester Himes' As If He Hollers, Let Him Go, is this well-meaning, successful guy who's figured out how to get a union job at a shipyard in the 40s in spite of the virulent racism of the period, and he destroys his own life. He brutalizes his girlfriend. He walks away from a from a life worth living and and... Uh, in Always Outnumbered, Always Outgunned by Walter Mosley, Socrates Fortlow is this con who's gotten out of jail out of 27 years and is living 
in a, you know, kind of in an invisible Ralph Ellison, invisible man kind of space in the neighborhood where all, where the Crips and the Bloods are fighting each other and has is determined that he is amoral because of the things that he has done, even though his friends and the neighborhood keeps telling him he's the most moral thing that they have. Right. So this music is steeped in a long African-American tradition of of trying to reconcile what violence has done to the concept of morality. One of the things that I think these records and the example of Tupac and Biggie ask us is, if you are raised in a system where you cannot count on morality, will you recognize morality when you see it, right? Like there are people who will argue like morality is only what we construct. And if we construct an amoral world and you behave that way, you are quote unquote moral. And then other people will argue, no, there are these intrinsic moral principles that bind human beings together. We know evil when we see it and we can recognize it. And I feel like these records and the and what Ben what Ben sees in hip hop that sounds dark and misogynist and violence is perhaps that struggle. Like I feel the pull to say these things about people. And at the same time, I'm ashamed of that pull. And I cannot reconcile those two poles. And that's the fuel for my art. And it's also the fuel for my own self-destruction, right? Which might be why it's so hard for me to listen to this music. Like, this is a place where Ben and I really diverge. Like, I, I love the sound of that song. And by the end of it, I I just, there are, there's an, there are like that Tupac song, like, I I love its sound and I can't get past it. Like, I just find myself like, Ooh, I feel complicit, too complicit in listening to it. And I don't know whether that's because my introduction into these themes was through literature. I don't know whether it's just a, it, it's a nature of the difference between raised in Brooklyn and raised in the suburbs. I don't know. And I'm not, maybe you're a better person. That's I don't think it's that, but see, that's the thing is that it's not that it's, I don't think it's a moral thing. I think it's a, what I, what stomach do I have for sitting with that paradoxical um, moralist space that I was just talking about, right? And some days I have more of a bravery to face it than I do other days. But, um, but I, to, and this is all a long way of saying like um, my way of like Ben and I, while we don't share the same love for this music, we share the same fascination with the infection of racism that creates what I've been talking about. And Nina, that's my defense of like, what makes this different is this, I, I feel like the frame for this exploration is that is, is an important thing to notice. And it's a different frame than the misogyny that we have much less time for in other uh, American art spaces. So that's my two and a half cents. Nice. It's so it's so interesting as I sat here listening to, to you, Ben, and then to you, Jeff, like how much time you all have spent digging in and seeking understanding and and how rare that is, right? That that most 50 year old white men don't take that time. And they either gleefully listen or they uh, dismiss it out of hand as as terrible. Yes, we are very special. We'll take <laughs> that, Jimmy. I will take that, man. I just happened to, I mean, you know, it's just, I, I was lucky enough that people paid me to go to school to study it. I don't claim any moral high ground. Um, 
I read Invisible Man at 15 and it, it, it was the most interesting thing that had ever come across my plate. And I just followed my nose. That's all. That's it's luck and circumstance and, 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 and intellectual query. You know, Meanwhile, I hear bad words and I say, oh, dear, let's turn that <laughs> scary. Because uh, you, in fact, are the true moral center of this podcast. That's correct. Don't um, even pretend if, if there's ever a judgment day. And it's the three of us. I'm going to look around and be like, ah, oh, damn it. <laughs> the true moral center. I like you that. You couldn't put me with a couple of Klansmen in this sorting hat. I'm... All right, gentlemen, let's get out of 1997. I indicated I had a terrible time because apparently all I listened to uh, was Bob Dylan this year. Um, well, perhaps because the songs were so long. I didn't have Gentle readers. Tim emailed me last night, like help. And I sent him 14 different options and he literally yeah. wrote back. No, 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 no. And no, I have, I have no idea. I have, I have my list here. And my son asked me last night and he's like, well, what do you got? And I looked and I'm like, Oh crap. I left it blank. But I've been digging in ever since then. This is not a band I knew back in the 90s as a matter of fact this is a band that wilco brought to me we're gonna have sleater kinney nice Timmy. Whoa. by the way i've got the most mainstream pick you're bringing it to me i like yeah, it that's great dude good choice it's my favorite slater kinney record although i really slater like kinney. the woods too i really that record's underrated that that woods record is really really good they're amazing so let's go hit it you want the title track, do you? Yeah, Dig Me Out, yeah. Dig Me Out by Slater Kenny. talked before about um how the second song on an album is like the key song and, and the the smart artist is gonna put their best song right there in that slot but there's something to be said for just coming out of the gates just cranking and uh and i think that's what they're doing with this song is this you better put it one or two you better put a kick-ass track one or two or yeah. it's all over. yeah that, is this their first album no they um isn't there a record before this or one, maybe another one before this? I'm pretty sure this is not the debut. I'm embarrassed that I'm not, it's not coming to me here. Let me, uh, is this, is this punk or do you consider this just hard rock? I don't know what I can say. Yeah. Slater Kinney in 95 Call the doctor in 96 and then dig me out in 97. So third record and then the hot rock and then all hands on the bad one, which I also really like. And then one beat, and then the woods, which is the 2005 one that 
was kind of the comeback record. Okay. And then No Cities to Love, and then a big long break. And then uh, they did that record last year with um, St. Vincent called Path of Wellness, which is with right. a different lineup. Is yeah. it good? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I call this. I call it punk rock because those, yeah. those guitar notes are so thick. Yeah. I just love the sound of those guitars. It sounds like they're playing the fattest strings in the world when they're doing those single note things. So Awesome. Uh, do you have to go pick your daughter up from piano? No, I have to go get a haircut, but I'm walking to the haircut. So I'm, I'm good. I have, okay. I'm keeping an eye on the clock. All right. But, that, but Karen fills up really quick. I have to book this months in I'm advance. I'm sorry, you, you have an appointment? Oh, this is my gal. Karen cuts my hair twice a year. You and just and go to a barbershop or something? No, this is my gal. She and I are close, man. I've been going to her for three or four years. And there's wow. a whole there's some massaging of the head and some some treatments. And I wonder what percentage of our regular audience makes appointments to cut their hair. And please tell me, Ben, that you make goes. a hair appointment. First of all, Timmy, are you 15? Yes, thank you. <laughs> I used to be in the no appointment for my haircut situation. And you get I, an appointment too? What? Yes. I First of all, I get an appointment and I spend 35 American dollars, Tim. I'm sure that's going to shock you. I cannot. I don't even know. I did not know I was on such a fancy podcast. So you guys think deeply about race and how you look. I don't think at all about, I get my hair cut twice a year. I need somebody expert to cut my hair so that for five months, I don't look like I rolled out of a trash can. But also, uh, Jeff, just take, I mean, your hair looks great. Like, it's good. Having a good haircut makes a big difference. It's super awesome. And now Um, that I found somebody who can turn my roly-poly head into something worth looking at, I'm very grateful. Since COVID hit, I haven't gone to a a hairdresser, barbershop, nothing. Using a Flowbee that you got off the internet? (laughs) And that's it. And look at me. You have that natural, rugged, good look. You don't need, I need the stylist to pull it all together. Sure, sure. All right, fellas. Let's uh let's say a quick prayer for the Patriots tonight. Up no, 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 no. We are not doing that. And uh, stop. They need all. a break, those Patriots. They really do. When yeah, will they it's... finally get their chips? <laughs> <laughs> so I will say my my best friend from high school, Quinn, lives out here now. Okay. Stanley Andrews. We see each other like once a month. And uh he is a lifelong Bills fan, Tim. Oh, poor Born guy. in Buffalo. Oh, God. Uh, he goes back to a game once a year. Last year was the happiest I've ever seen him. Oh, sure. Um, so out here, it's the Bills game, not the Patriots game. It's going to be so sad for him when Brady comes back to the Patriots next year. He's going to be like, no. What fantasy world yeah. are you living in? You're really All right, I got to go. I got to go. Hey, enjoy the game. I love you guys. I got to Well done. Hey, if you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Hi, I'm Lessa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. 
I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for season two of the Wanna Bet podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that season two starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.